key moment to my redemption, but also I began to surround myself with people who had a positive impact, people who reached through all the smoke and, you know, reached down the canyon and picked Wiley Coyote up off the desert sand. Welcome back, everybody, to Redemption Road. I'm your host, Doc John. Here on Redemption Road, we interview high performers who have overcome the greatest of life difficulties to not only become successful, but to become the highest of performers. So today's guest is the motivational firewood guy. So all of you that are in cold weather now since December, he's coming in hot. He blends back-to-basis positivity, visualization humor, teaching clients to see the desired outcomes, understand their why, build action plans to achieve them via his vision board mastery program, one-to-one and group coaching, live and virtual events. Steve teaches people to identify what their goals look like, feel like, sound like, and even smell like. Yes, sir. My man, Steve Gamlin, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hey there, Doc John. Thank you so much for having me. We are going to rip it up. And when you said the theme of the show is redemption, you know, comebacks, that's, that's kind of my specialty. I've got a keynote uh, signature keynote called some days your phoenix rides a pogo stick so we're we're not going to run shy of material and stories today i'm looking forward to it thank you i love that title phoenix riding <laughs> and of course i'm very visual so i'm, I'm like I'm, I'm picturing like yeah in, in my mind that's just uh that, that gives a great image so yeah. practice right oh so, yeah oh yeah so i love to hear everybody's redemption story you're one of the high performing people that i'm having on here you know, and I know every high performers overcome a lot of things in their life, sometimes very difficult things, sometimes even tragic things. And so I like to hear how everybody overcomes, because I think that's something the world needs to hear. We need to hear how the worst of difficulties, you know, maybe it's death, maybe it's loss, maybe it's substance use, maybe it's bankruptcy, divorce, whatever it might be. You know, it's important that the world hear how everybody overcomes these things, because you see high performers and you think that their lives are perfect and great, and they always have been. You know, oftentimes we don't see what someone's gone through to get there. We see them at the peak, but we don't see the valleys that they had to go through along the way, see the darkness they had to go through. So, um, excuse me, I'd like to open it up to you, kind of hear some of the challenges you've gone through and then what you did to overcome them and what you're doing now as a, as a high performing individual and how you're giving back and helping the world. Yeah, the uh, the worst of the situations happened about 20 years ago, and I'll just say right flat out. It was mostly self-inflicted. Uh, I had the life that most people would have envied. And actually, a lot of people did. And they said, oh, Steve, you're so lucky. I had an amazingly fun and successful 10-year radio career. I was a rock morning show producer on oh, the, wow. some classic rock stations and just had a ball. I was married. I had a side DJ business that was growing. And 20 years ago, uh, my radio career was 10 years long, and I worked about 15 years worth of hours six, seven days a week, burnt myself right into the ground. And when you can, when you get up and you're so exhausted that you don't want to be on the radio that day, that's, that's a problem. Right. My whole life was starting to just cave in. It wasn't fulfilling, wasn't having fun. The energy between me and my first wife, you know, I'm a person that if there's conflict, I don't address it. I shut it down and shove it down. Gotcha. But when the volcano goes, there is no off switch. And we just had one major blowout. Walked away from my radio career, went through a divorce, and at age 35 was $62,000 in credit card debt in 
business loan debt because I wasn't paying attention and it just spiraled. I can identify with so much of that picture. (laughs) Yeah. And it's 35 pretty much crawled home to live with family. You know, I went to my dad's house. We had just built a recording studio. He had, he had a big house. We just built a recording studio in an office in his basement where I was going to be doing some side work and God love him. He said, Hey bud, why are you looking for an apartment? You're here every day working anyway. Why don't you just take the room down the hall? Mm-hmm. And it was the greatest gift. Although at the time I felt like the biggest loser in the world, mid thirties, going back to live at dad's house. It turned out to be the greatest blessing and it turned out to be the launch pad for the comeback that I'm still enjoying now, 20 years later, because his health started to decline slowly. He just passed away about four years ago, but he was in decline slowly back then. So I started taking up a lot of the physical work around the house. So I felt valuable and I felt needed at a time where I felt like the biggest waste of human space on the planet and was just my self-talk back then. And I've got plenty of evidence was brutal. Mm-hmm. that's a big thing I talk about now with people is be real careful of your self-talk. Now exactly. I could lace it with humor at the time. Cause I also was doing stand-up comedy for seven years. Right. I could make it really funny, but I beat the living hell out of myself for a right. long time. And that's where it all started was there, you know, that really low point I'd have little wins and then fall back a little and bigger wins and that, August 2003, I made the decision to become a speaker and a stand-up comedian in the same exact moment. We can address that later if you want, when and Absolutely. how that happened. Love to hear more about that. Key moment to my redemption, but also I began to surround myself with people who had a positive impact, people who reached through all the smoke and you know reached down the canyon and picked Wiley Coyote up off the desert sand. <laughs> you know, I'm old enough. I'm 54 years old. I'm old enough to get that reference. The I know I am reference. too. At 47, that was one of my favorite. You, uh, you know, it's <laughs> actually a cartoon I used to watch with my dad. You know, um, yep. and so it was just yeah, it, it was hysterical. So absolutely, yeah. um, it's quite a story. I mean, it's it's interesting that it was that was kind of the start of things because you were feeling very low on yourself, but it sounds like being around your dad, that was one of the things you said it made you feel useful. And I, I think it's, that's very powerful because one of the important things when we're trying to build our confidence back up again is building some victories into our life day to day. And so being able to be helpful to your dad and you know, that's, that was some victories that you could build in early on to kind of reverse the course. And also, you know, because, you know, he was starting to decline, you know, that time you get is priceless. I mean, as a, as we've shared before, you know, I lost my dad two years ago as well. And it's just, you know, you, you look back all those times, oh, could I, could I have spent more time here? Could I have spent more time there? You know, because you never really know. And so, I mean, that case is something that happened for you because it gave you some of that valuable time with him that maybe you wouldn't normally have had. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people say all the time, oh, I wish I had, I wish I had zero regrets. You know, my favorite picture of him and I is sitting over there on my recording studio desk a selfie I took probably two years before he passed. We we're working out in the yard at his house. He was slowing down a bit. He had Parkinson's and a couple other health issues. And it just struck me that day. Hey, the phone's in the car. Go grab it. Get a picture with dad. Because I oh, knew that day was going to come. And it turned out to be the picture we used for his obituary. It's on my desk. <laughs> it, it means everything to me. So a big part of it was creating those moments, you know, part of the redemption for me was all the things I might regret later on when I'm that age, Mm -hmm. do them now. Most of them don't take much effort, but we put all that other busy stuff in our way. 
and start to create those moments on a daily basis with people. Mm -hmm. Even if it was a phone call, a text, an email, a quickie video, a voicemail, a funny voicemail, something. I do those on a daily basis now with people. And it, it's just made me the happiest version of me at age 54 there's ever been. Hell yeah. And, and, and everybody can feel it from you. I mean, I felt it first time we ever talked on a zoom. I mean, we haven't had the pleasure of meeting in person, but I know that day is going to come um, whether it's down in Dallas or at the mastermind or whether I have to come up to New Hampshire myself. Um, I, I know, I know it's going to happen sooner or later. I look forward to that. Yeah, um, but, too. uh, we, you can feel your energy. I mean, it's, and it's contagious and, um, and what you do for everybody else is, is really, truly amazing. Um, but yeah, man, it, it just, I, I'm, I'm blown away hearing what you, you know, when you're talking about your low or your rock bottom point, it's, it's amazing to hear how low things got for you after, like you said, you were top of the world, having this dream job of, you know, being the, the DJ and I mean, probably having a fair amount of fame, at least local fame that came with that and being a well-known household name where you're from and in your listening area and everything else and being at all the major events. And so it's, there's a lot that comes with that, but um, you know, people see the persona, you know, and, and when you're a public figure like that, I'm sure they see the the energy and the smiles and the happiness and the jokes and the humor, but uh, they don't see what's going on underneath. They don't see what's going on behind the radio personality. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And when, when things aren't going well behind that, it, to, to keep up that smile for a long time, it's, it's exhausting, you know, and I know what it's like. I mean, as a mental health practitioner, you, you know, I always told myself, I've got to be, I've got to be the one that keeps it together. I've got to have the smile on my face and have all my shit together and have life by the balls and everything else. And, you know, give that appearance that there's no cracks in this armor, you know, because yep. if, I, if, you know, if I don't, they're going to think I'm not competent to do my job. They're going to, they're going to see, I don't have all the answers. And then the fraud police are going to show up and, you know, imposter syndrome and everything else. And so, yeah, you know, so you keep that mask on, but that gets fucking exhausting after a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I told somebody last week in an interview, I said, I didn't just wear the name badge that said imposter. I said, I got the freaking shirt embroidered. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I wore it and, and I'm, you know, I've been a speaker now for 18 years and people say, oh, Steve, you know, the confidence of this is this. All that confidence is in actuality, in all honesty, only about 10 years old, because I punished myself for the whole first decade of the 2000s for what I did in 2000, 2001, the decisions I made that blew my life up. I punished myself for a long time. And that yeah. imposter syndrome came up with big boys <clears throat> kicking me in parts of my body. My doctor only gets to see once a year. <laughs> so... Let's talk about confidence a little bit, because I mean, I know I've got my six pillars of confidence that I talk about, and but um, what's what's your recipe for confidence? Because um, I'm sure we have a lot of common ground, but you know, what were the things that enhanced your confidence the most? Because that's what I think everybody needs here. Because that's I think one of the reasons I got into coaching confidence with people is because that's one of the things that's missing the most. Because that's the you know the biggest barrier I see. The biggest barriers we have are always self-imposed and it starts at the confidence about your belief about what you could do and about what's going to happen. So yeah. what what was it that swayed the tide, you know, shifted the tide for you confidence wise? A big part of it was a, a buddy of mine named Chris and we met about 11 years ago and instantly hit it off. And he said, Hey, I'm having this personal development event. It was right around 2011 or so. And I'd love you to be a speaker. You can speak all three days. Talk about whatever you want to talk about. Well, first two days went well. The third day, I woke up in a bad mood or was running out of material or something. I went into about a 20-minute self-deprecating rant about the dumbest stuff I'd ever done in my life in ways I'd just screwed up. 
I forgot about the whole redemption part. I just sat there and basically roasted myself for 20 minutes to the amusement of the audience. But pity is a really sad thing mm-hmm. when you're supposed to be the one enlightening everybody else and they feel sad for you because you've mm-hmm. just imploded on stage. Mm-hmm. I get called out in basically it was a intervention after the event. Once the attendees left, there was a circle of chairs with one in the middle. And Chris says, you sit there he and all the other presenters went around and just beat the crap out of me for beating the crap out of myself. Wow. So basically said, if we ever hear you talk about yourself like that again, none of us will be your friend and we'll never work together again. That was the moment that shifted for me. Talk about an ultimatum. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Chris and I are still brothers now all these years later and we still do stuff together. And we pick each other up every now and then when one can sense the other one's down or can <clears> see in a post on social media. Well, that person's he's kind of down on himself today. We reach out to each other and pick each other back mm-hmm. up and put each other where we deserve to be. But that was the moment that shifted it. And my favorite two words that I now use when people say, how do you describe your life? And I just say charismatic confidence, because I'm just I'm just myself now. And I took a photo about nine years ago in my old recording studio, the piece of firewood, because my brand is motivational firewood. I own the trademark on that. And it was a picture of me just kind of holding up going like, eh, with the, with the, the questioning look on my face, it said hair, not perfect face, not perfect smile, not perfect body, not perfect brain, not perfect kick and butt anyway. And don't care. <laughs> and don't care. And, and every time I share that picture on social media, somebody will DM me and say, how did you know I needed that today? And I said, well, simple answer. I needed it that day. Mm-hmm. And if you ever see me post it again, all these years later, it means I needed it that day. There was some mm-hmm. little nagging voice in the back of my head saying, hey, you know, you used to be an imposter and we're kind of still in here. To which mm-hmm. I just look at it in the mirror, give myself the finger and go, oh, you can't have me today. We're going to go rock this day, you know, and not today, Satan, (laughs) not today, Satan, hashtag up yours. You know, that's, that's the way I guess one of my favorite hashtags in the world, because it's, it's not really offensive, but it's funny. I say, oh, hey, that's fine. You can think what you want. Hashtag up yours. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. That's, oh my gosh. I I just, I love that story. Um, You've come a long way. Oh yeah. And I've taken notes the whole way. When people say, what qualifies you to speak on what you speak on? I said, man, I took notes. Matter of fact, on the other wall here in the recording studio, you have three different background walls. It's a wall of barn board, which was a visualization. I always wanted to work in a creative space like a barn. And there's a little chalkboard on it. And I got so tired of people saying, get snotty with a giant stick up their butt. What qualifies you to teach this? One day I just said, hang on. And I went and wrote on the chalkboard, this guy lived it and i drew an arrow put my head next to the arrow and took a selfie and i sent it to that person i go there hashtag up yours i lived it and i took notes ta-da yep. so you can take your seven dollar life coaching certificate and stick it up your butt because mm-hmm. i lived it right and that's all i teach and speak on by the way is what i've learned over the years and what has worked for me it's in all my disclaimers and all my legal agreements Right. What worked for me. I'm an expert on being me and taking your life out of the septic tank and uh, getting back up on big stages and really loving who I've become and what I share with other people. And I'm just the best version of me so far. Sure. 
And that's true credibility. I mean, cause you actually did live it. And yeah. that's, that, that was a change that I, I think I went through as well, you know, between being a clinical psychologist, you know, have the certificate and I mean, it's not a little $7 life coaching certificate. I mean, it's a doctor degree, but <laughs> there's still, I felt I had something missing too, you know, because I had this, you know, fancy diploma and everything else that opens lots of doors for you and people, Ooh, and ah, you're, oh, the, you're a doctor, you know, whatever. Um, but if you haven't lived it, you know, certain things, you haven't gone through certain things. I mean, where I felt my credibility really went up was when I went through some of the shit and was honest about it. And, yeah. you know, when I went through divorce, when I went through bankruptcies or when I went through heartbreaks or when I went through death and grieving and, you know, people got, people got to see me bleed for the first time in the last couple of years, you know, starting back in 2019, when I, you know, started to, you know, imagine that, tell the truth, you know, when, when someone asks you how you're doing and instead of giving the socially acceptable answer, you know, I started saying, you want the socially acceptable answer? Or you want the real answer? Yep. Two very different things. Mm-hmm. And so you start giving the answer and then that's when you find out who your friends are too. Cause you yeah. know, the people who, uh, that actually want to hear the real answer that they stick around, that that's who your real friends are. And yeah. so, um, when I started to, uh, you know, tell the truth about those things, it's like all of a sudden credibility went up, you know, people relate to you, people identify with you. They know that you understand. Yeah. You know, you're not just some guy with a white coat and a fancy degree acting like a shit doesn't stink. They know you've suffered too. Yep. And I get it in the speaking world. Look at, look at the, the, it always use the air quotes. Look at the gurus out there who do the videos. Now, let me say right up front, this is my disclaimer. I have nothing against material things like nice cars and big homes and private jets and helicopters and jewelry. I have nothing against it. I get so much crap for that when I say, look, the gurus out there who sit there in the Lamborghini, the yacht, the mansion, the the big honk and watch in, in their pictures of like the vault full of gold bars who are saying, Hey, if you want to be successful and have all this, you know, I've been fighting that for 18 years because I honestly have no desire to drive a car like that or, you know, have a bunch of bars that go or, all. you know, I've, I've got this eight areas of life that I excel in. You know, the money doesn't have to be the number one. Matter of fact, it's right. right down the list for me. Sure. And I've got all this other stuff. But see, I've been fighting that the whole time. Steve, where's your Lamborghini? Why isn't it in your videos? Because I don't have one. I drive a Honda CRV. Well, what's your dream car? A newer Honda CRV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's legit. That's my goal for this year is to get now that you can actually get cars again. Right. Uh, my ancient one will be replaced sometime in 2023. It's on my vision board. Right. But it's it's real and it's who I am and who I want to be in the next best version of me. My One of my right. mentors, Lonnie Robinson, used to say, brother, all you got to do is create the next best version of you you don't have to right. do what all these other people say you're in the industry he says you told me you got in this industry because you were so sick and tired of the bullshit that was being puffed out there mm-hmm. you want it to be real and legit this is the best version i've seen of you so far keep doing it right and that i mean what you're saying resonates with me too because it's not just like like you said i have no problem with people having fancy cars i mean if, if you got those things if you earn them that's amazing i mean don't get me wrong there's some material things that i enjoy as well but I, I think sometimes rather than the emphasis on what are you going to have, it's like, who are you going to be? What are you going to become to have that? Who do I have to become to have that Lambo, to have that yacht, to have that private jet? Yeah, That's where I think we think it's lost. People focus too much about on the money. It's like, you don't really want the money. I think more you want the time. You want the freedom that comes with that 
you know, with that money. Yep. And you've got to become acclimated to it. That's the thing. You just see all these people that say, I want to win the lottery. Oh, you watch those documentaries about what happens to people who win the lottery within three to five years. It's gone. It's the money's gone. They're addicted. They're depressed. Their relationships have all fallen (laughs) apart. And there are people who legit say, I wish I'd never won $75 million. Mm -hmm. Their lives are over. Some commit suicide. There's so much depression, anxiety, all of these things. They didn't get acclimated to being becoming that person on the way to getting it. So again, I don't begrudge anybody for, for having cool stuff. I just have my priorities in place. Happiness is the number one for me, along with my relationship with my wife, Tina. Mm-hmm. Nothing gets sacrificed for those two things. Right. Those are my priorities on the, the life wheel that I work with. Those are the non-negotiables. two most important ones. The Absolutely. non-negotiables, exactly. And my health is, third, is, you know, again, tied for first. There's a couple tied for oh, first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your health has to kind of be the right up there too. Hierarchy yeah, and, needs without that, everything else is moot, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's who I show up as every single day. Now I could get out there and just you know rock a stage and do all these manipulative things that a lot of the speakers do with NLP and all that other stuff. I just show up. People say, "Well, Steve, you have to stand this way." I slouch. Well, Steve, you have to do it this way. Uh, no. How are you ever going to get a big stage like Tony Robbins? I said, I don't want to be Tony Robbins. I don't particularly care for, for Tony's message anymore. I liked him 20 years ago, but I've got my own now. And if I followed Tony on stage, I'd come out and tell the fog machine guy to shut it off, bring the house lights up, turn off that thumping damn music, shut the lasers down. I'm going to sit in the front of the stage, dangle my legs off like we're at a picnic and have an intimate conversation with 15,000 people about why I became a speaker. Right. Yeah. You don't so have to be the, the next. Yes. You don't yeah. have to be the next anything. And I had somebody ask me once, well, how can we help you become the next Tony Robbins? I said, I don't want to be the next Tony Robbins. I want to be the first Doc John. Yeah. You want to be the first Steve Gamlin. Yes, sir. The one and only. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I want to be that guy people remember saying, oh my gosh, he was so real. And I woke up a year later and realized that he was still echoing with me. I, mm-hmm. I once had somebody approach me in a in a grocery store and pass me in the Captain Crunch aisle and turn around and say, hey man, you're that speaker, right? I turned around laughing. I said, yes, sir. I'm a speaker. Yep. What do you remember? I didn't even ask him when it was. I said, what do you remember? He told me the story I told, the picture that was on the screen, the lesson behind it. And I said, all right, million dollar question. What did you do with it? He had a job interview a week later. It was for 85 unemployed people that I was speaking. I did 42 events, state of mass and state of New Hampshire for some chronically unemployed people. He went into the job interview a week later took the lesson from this one particular story, had amazing contact and connection with the people interviewing him, and he got the job. All worthwhile right there. It had been three years since that event when he saw me in the grocery store. We figured it out after. I said, all right, when was that? He said, oh, about three years ago. And I just shook my head. I'm like, this is why I do what I do. Yeah. 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 That one made my mom cry. Yeah. That's when it's all worthwhile. Even yeah. even if it's just one person, yeah, that you you change the direct trajectory of that one person's life. Yeah, ripples. It's all yeah. about ripples every day. Yeah, you and I, and you and I both do this in social media. We put out a post because it's a super genuine version of where we're at that day or something we're working through. Sure. You find out a year later when it pops up in your memories how many people it impacted. Yep. That's humbling. It really is. But but what you see in the in those analytics, the likes or whatever, that's such a small representation of even because a lot of the people you're affecting the most, they don't engage. 
they don't yeah. even so much as like or love it or anything else. I mean, there's no share, there's no comment. And then all of a sudden you get a message a couple of years later, then be like, yeah, I've been watching you. And because you did this and, you know, I had a guy message me once he was a friend from high school and we used to give each other shit. We talked to, you know, one of those friends where you give each other shit and you talk to each other, like you hate each other, but you really yeah. love each other, mm-hmm. you know? And, and he'd be like, and he said, uh, you know, I was, I was on a 75 hard weight loss journey and I was, you know, broadcasting and he's like, Oh, he's like, just want to know, let you know that because of you, he's like, I've lost like 20, 20 or 30 pounds in the last oh, couple months. Wow. And, um, he's like, every day I'm looking at online and seeing where Mossy is today. And so you know, he ended it by, you know, thank you. And you're incredible, you know, for putting your incredibly punchable face on social media every day to keep me motivated. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best, man. The people that can just be real like that. You know, it's like, hey, it's it's the equivalent of of typing a headlock and a head noogie. Like, all right, you big dummy. Okay, thank you. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that makes it all worthwhile. He had never engaged in a single post. Yeah. But life changed his influence. And so that's yeah. and that, that's what I tell everybody. people are watching. I mean, it, it just takes one. And uh, you, know, you, you get that one message. Sometimes you, you, know, you, you start to burn out because you wonder, it's like, okay, am I having an effect? You know, with therapists, that's one of the things we talk about is burnout. And one of the biggest predictors of therapist burnout is a perceived lack of effectiveness with the people that you're seeing. And Mm so, you know, we have to recognize our limitations of who we can reach. And sometimes it might not seem like we're reaching anybody, but then there's every now and then you get that little one, that one message or that one person, that one person in the grocery store that you see. And it's like, all right, this is why I'm in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And we all have those moments. You know, people say, Steve, do you ever have a bad day? plenty i won't call them bad days i have frustrating days i have days when i'm in a funk and a rut just like anybody else you know we're we're you know 20 years ago was not the comeback the comeback happens every single day i i I have redemption every single day now i know how to handle it or deal with it better instead of just crawling into a hole or like i used to consume on a nightly basis what i referred to as the tall ass rum and coke Gotcha. Uh, draining a bottle of 94 proof <clears throat> rum a week, which oh, wow. uh, the day I joined Apex, I looked at how much money I'd invested and I looked at the bottle of rum and I said, not today. Yep. And it's been 19 months so far, 100% alcohol free. I'm down 25, 26 pounds exercising every day. You, so every day, man, I get up and I got to go create the next best version of my life. So every day there's some redemption. When I'm in a funk or in a rut, I leave the house. And I go into town and I take about 15, 20 minutes and commit as many acts of kindness as I can for free. And I connect with people and I always come home different. Yeah. I go make some ripples happen and, you know, silly, goofy stuff. If I see somebody wearing a cool hat, I just look at them dead in the eyes and say, that is the coolest hat I've seen all day. Me, I could not pull that off, but you fabulous. And I just walk away and they actually, some people get taller. Because they actually take pride in, and we all have the opportunity to do this. There's nothing great about me doing it, and nothing great about you doing it either. So, but when enough of us do it, the whole world gets redeemed yep. in a way. And you're you're being, and I'm hearing this, and all I can think of is have Have you ever heard about being the coffee bean? Yes. You know, yep. you have you have you know three things in your kitchen. You have an egg, a carrot, and a coffee bean. Yeah. What happens when you throw each of them in? And this is from Damon West. I heard him on Ned Milet podcast. Yep. And he said, it's exactly uh, where I heard it. I he love said, it. You got the carrot, 
when you know you you throw them each in, in boiling water are you going to be the carrot you throw it in and you get soft are you going to be the egg you throw it in and it gets hard yeah. or are you going to be the coffee bean where you put it in boiling water all of a sudden that boiling water turns into coffee so you've changed everything around you yep so you're going out and making someone else's day better you're changing everything around you you're being the catalyst you're being the agent of change there yep. and that's that's what i think not, a lot of people don't understand enough is they don't there's not enough empowerment. There's not enough understanding, and you know. And I, I always preach taking ownership, and because you know you're taking ownership because you're you know the bad things that happen, you you cause those. But you know what? The good things are things that you cause too. Yeah, you have that internal locus of control. You can control your own fate, your own destiny. You can, to some degree, manipulate the environment around you. You can't control everything, no. but you can influence it. Yeah. And and when we do that, when we have the intention of doing that, not to just drill ourselves down into a hole deeper, but when we want to make it better, what I've noticed over the years, the coolest people show up in my life because I'm not staring at my shoes or my phone anymore saying, I wish my life was better. I wish my life didn't suck. And so many people just look at their phones and their shoes and they look at the suck mm -hmm. and what they're missing. If they had their eyes looking forward, or all these opportunities for things to get better. I mean, people say, Steve, was there a moment that changed your life? And of course, they all think it's like Hollywood talks about, you know, the hero gets back on the horse and the clouds part and the angels go, ah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's a bunch of crap. Because, <laughs> you know, that's where I launch into the, your Phoenix rides a pogo stick. Right. And I burn my tail feathers off. I don't know how many times, but every time I come out of the fire, I bounce higher. And the big reason for that is first off my intention. Mm -hmm. Second, I'm huge on visualization and vision boards and law of attraction and all that. And I teach all that. So I know my desired outcomes in every part of my life. What I don't always know is how to get there, but when I'm open to it, the right people show up. So in, in the depths of all this bad crap going on in the ashes the wily e. coyote acme rocket roller skates off a cliff of 2001 to 2003 uh august of 2003 on a friday afternoon super hot and humid up here in new hampshire i had three dollars left in my pocket and i went and just decided to take out my frustrations on a bucket of golf balls at a driving range and me being a horrible golfer i went to the farthest tee box in the property so i wouldn't dent anybody's car in the parking lot <laughs> So I was underneath these huge steel column power lines up against the netting and about 10 minutes into the hour, a thunderstorm came ripping through and everybody but me ran from it. And I actually held my club up and looked up and just said, I dare you. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, man. You know, and not me being mad at God. Some people have said, you, you should never challenge God. I'm like, I was just doing it to be sarcastic. Right. So I hit my whole bucket and two other full buckets of guys that ran from the storm and never came back. And at the end of an hour, I couldn't even lift my arms. And I got to my car. And when I opened the door, the rain stopped and the sun came out. And I just started laughing. Oh, my gosh. Well played. That's like here I am in the absolute garbage of life. And as soon as I'm done, the storm stops. And I just, you know, I just tucked it away in my head like, well, that was kind of fun. Sure. In the next day, I was talking with my brand new life coach over the phone and he says, hey, how was your week? And I said, put down your pen and listen to this. <laughs> and I just as funny, it was real self-deprecating, but as funny as I could make it in about three or five, three to five minutes, I told him the story of that hour. 
And when he stopped laughing, which is something a life coach is not supposed to do at your pathetic life, he said, I got to be honest with you. Um, are you this, this open about your life with everybody? I said, yeah. And he said, you ever thought of being a motivational speaker or a stand-up comedian? I think you'd be great at both. Hell yeah. And I said, I've wanted to do both since I was 11 years old. Also wanted to be a DJ. I mean, yeah, a radio personality and write books. And I said, yeah, but I've, I've never had the guts to go after it or even know how to even pursue it. On his desk, in his junk mail pile, was a brochure for a local community college that two weeks later had a class called Intro to Stand-Up Comedy. No way. Yeah. He said, will you go? Hell yeah, I'll go. And then he asked, have you ever heard of Toastmasters? I go, eh, kind of like they teach you how to you know, speak or whatever. He goes, yeah. He goes, man, you got the stories and the style. Just go in there and hone it a little bit sure. and, and just just get better and, and tighter with it. Okay. So two weeks later, I was in comedy class. A week after that, I was in Toastmasters. The comedy for seven years, been speaking for 18, never stopped. Where do you think that comes from? Because you were a you were a DJ. You you've always been in front of people. Where, where do you think that comes from? That you you've had that desire and that comfort level doing that? Because that's that's not something that everybody would be rushing to do to be in front of the public eye. You know, in radio and getting in front of the crowds of people. Um, you know, whether it's be for speaking or whether to do comedy. I mean, that's that takes some huevos to do. Like, where do you think that comes from? Being able to. Uh, feel in such a comfort zone doing that? Um, it was very uncomfortable for a long time, but it all started when I was about 11 in a TV show called WKRP in Cincinnati came on. And I saw this guy named Dr. Johnny Fever who played records, talked on a microphone, wore sunglasses indoors, which I just thought was so badass, wore <laughs> jeans and t-shirts. And I said, someday I want to have a job like that. And I also wanted to be a stand-up comedian because, um, Although he's disgraced now, Bill Cosby and Steve Martin were two of my favorite comedians when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I also wanted to write books. And I wanted to be a teacher of people, but not in a classroom setting, like not in a school. Because I had this amazing teacher when I was 11 years old named Mrs. Farron, who I recently reconnected with on social media and got to thank for inspiring me. Oh, very cool. She was thrilled when she heard that and so honored and joyful. Teachers don't I get enough to props. Do no, they don't. And I wanted to do all of these things. And I wound up on the radio in 1992. And for the first eight of my 10 years in radio, I very rarely spoke on a microphone because I didn't have the guts or the confidence in my own voice. I was an off-air rock morning show producer, mm -hmm. copywriter, production director. So I basically hid in the shadows in the industry that I'd always wanted to be in. And I never had the guts to get in the spotlight till I had to. When at a classic rock station here in New Hampshire, there's a half dozen of us that kind of ran it. We took it off satellite and made it live. Mm -hmm. And then our morning guy quit. And the the general manager said, well, the owner's just going to put it back on satellite. And I raised my hand and go, guys, I've been in radio for eight years. I can do this. And in my head, in parentheses, I said, I've never been on the mic. But, you know, I could do this. And he goes, oh, yeah, just take a few days. Get your legs back under you. I'm like, dude, there were never legs. This is mm -hmm. I'm flying by the seat of my pants here. And I did the worst, basically, audition of a sounding DJ you've ever heard for four days. And on the fifth morning, knowing it was just going to be an utter failure, at five minutes of seven, I just said, hey, everybody, Steve here, New Hampshire Classic Rock, Big 101.5. You know, I may suck as a DJ, but if you tolerate me reading the weather for the next 42 seconds, I'll play you a kick-ass rock song. 
and yep. did the weather and hit the song. And my boss knocks on the door. I'm like, oh, here we go. Toilet's <laughs> about to flush. And he said, he leans in. And he goes, why the hell couldn't you have sounded like that all week? Brother, that was the funniest thing you said. Just be yourself. Yep. He closed the door and went upstairs. And that moment is where the first little crackle of a spark that became a fire of confidence was mm -hmm. born. True and authenticity. That, yeah. And now this is just who I am, no matter what. I've never tried to be anyone else. I mean, I tried here and there, but then I quickly got back to, this is just me. That's and that's powerful. it. I never that's had to look powerful. over my shoulder. You know, there's so much integrity and core values that come with that. To just be yourself and be authentic and be vulnerable and genuine and not have to put up one mask on or another cape or something. Just be yourself no matter where you're at. <laughs> Right. Not easy, but very much worth it. And everybody else will appreciate it too. Yeah. And if they don't, that's okay. They 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 can go elsewhere and, and listen to another speaker or hire sure. another coach or go through another program. It doesn't matter. Uh, your message is never going to be for everyone and that should yeah. never be a goal anyway. I mean, nope. um, I mean, some of the more powerful people are the pe you know, the people that are polarizing, yeah. you know, because you want people that are going to be following you and you know, if you're, you know, I read a book called, I think it was called either, it's one of Seth Godin's book, either Purple uh, purple Cow or Tribes. And, you know, so you don't want to be like Tide Laundry Detergent where you're appealing to everybody because, you know, that's that's boring. There's just not, there's not much appeal to that. But the people you do appeal to, it's going to be powerful for them. Yeah. And you're going to strike a chord with them every time. Yeah. And uh, that's what you want. You want to have that kind of, you know, in, uh, uh, impact. And so yeah. that's going to be what's where that's going to be where the magic is. Yeah. Speaking of, of the magic, I know there's not really magic to it, but let's, let's talk about the vision boards. Let's yeah. talk about how you got into that because that's just, that's fascinating to me um, how you got into it and the power that they have. And yeah. um, obviously the power we've had for you, the power that they have had for the numerous people that you've helped with them. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, shortly into my work with that life coach back in the early 2000s, he asked, have you ever heard of The Secret? And I said, no. He goes, well, it just came out on DVD. So I got it. It's about you know an hour and a half long. And I kept watching it over and over and over and it explained in layman's terms pretty much what the law of attraction is all about. Now, some of it was a little too woo-woo, even for me, and I'm borderline, although I explained everything in a blue-collar, actionable way. You know, they... The, the critical error for me is they put in a genie in a magic lamp who just kept saying over and over, your wish is my command. Like you wish for it, you'll get it. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, no, there's a lot more to it than that. But then about two thirds of the way through it, there was some guy named John Asaraf who I'd never heard of up until then, told a little story for a couple of minutes on vision boards and how he had taken pictures of the things he wanted, put them on a board somewhere and realized several years later that he was actually living in the exact home that he had once dreamt of living in. Wow. And I was so fascinated by that. And I thought, okay, if it could work for a house, could it work for a happier version of me, a healthier version of me? And I started to, I, I made two vision boards. My first time out, I made two. And they were all full of material stuff. And within three weeks, I looked at them both and I said, you are absolute garbage. This is not what I even want. Because I was broke. I just wanted stuff. Right. And I just whittled it down and I started to do a little work and I made one board. And all of a sudden, these little things started to pop up. I'd start to see opportunities to go after stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Well, how come I'm seeing all this stuff now? And I'm taking little actions and stacking up the little wins. And in January of 07, I'd already, I'd been working on myself for a couple of years, like the best version of me mm-hmm. to be in a relationship. Like I didn't date for more than a year. Wow. Not a single date after my divorce, because I said, look, I don't want to just go back and commit the same mistakes again. I want to create a better, stronger, more confident version of me. Love it. And I put pictures of people, couples enjoying the type of relationship I wanted to have because I'm a hopeless, helpless romantic, you know, walking on the beach, holding hands, mm-hmm. railing of a ship at sunset, cooking together in the kitchen, guy piggybacking his lady across the brook so she don't get all wet and they're laughing. That was all the stuff I wanted. You're painting the vision board right now. I can picture yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And I just found five of my old vision boards in the old recording studio. These are the five that survived. And I still have those old pictures. And in June of that year, first week of June, I wrote in my journal, I am ready to fall in love. Now, that was just one of, you know, eight areas of my life I set goals in. But that was the one I just had this sense I was ready to go. And 10 days later, I got an email from someone named Tina that I almost deleted because I thought it was junk mail. Thank God I didn't. The next day I realized it was from a girl I hadn't seen or talked to in 21 years since we graduated high school. What? I had a crush on her for a couple of years, but never had the guts to ask her out. And 10 days after I write down and ready to fall in love, she emails me from at that time over a thousand miles away. Hey, I saw you online doing stand-up comedy and said, wait a second. The kid that used to hide behind me in math class to not get called on is doing stand-up comedy. And you're a motivational speaker. This I got to see. (laughs) Just wanted to see if it was really you and hey, we should keep in touch. And so I answered her back. She had no social media or digital footprint would not send me a picture of herself. And over the course of four weeks, text, phone calls, and emails alone, I had feelings for her again. And in the fourth week, she admitted she did as well. And next June is our 16th anniversary. Amazing when you do the work on yourself, what you attract. Yeah. Yeah. And I still tell her, I said, look, babe, just know if you ever end our relationship, you're going to demolish my speaking career. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> that story got me on Oprah's radio network four times talking about soulmates Man. and law of attraction. I mean, that's one little story, but you know, little tiny wins that I've been stacking up over the past 16, 17 years of building vision boards and now teaching mm-hmm. other people to do it. See, it's not sure. just this flash and fire arts and crafts project. <clears throat> it's your life, right? Think of where you are now, where you want to be in one year. Don't give me this 20 years crap one year. And if it's a long-term goal, that's fine. How much progress do you want to make in a year? And that's, that's, yeah, I think that's a powerful part because you're, you have to visualize the steps and, you know, and I I think when you're doing it year by year, you know, one of my favorite books talks about not just visualizing the outcome, but visualizing the process. And so when you're breaking it down, you're you're not going 10 years out or 20 years out when you're breaking down into the smaller micro cycles, if you will, you know, that's allowing you to visualize the process, the steps that you take. And I mean, if you do if any studies that they've done have shown that when you visualize that process, instead of just the outcome, you're going to have a much better outcome in the end because you see all the steps along the way. Yeah. And it sounds like with what you're doing, you're seeing all these little other things that you maybe wouldn't have seen before. So it's giving you a chance to reverse engineer back from what you wanted and and, and see what you have to take to get there all the way to what is your first step. Yeah. Like what we do with the health journey. People say, oh, I need to lose 60 pounds next year, 80 pounds next year. And then, you know, what happens? The series of eating holidays happen. You got New Year's, Super Bowl, uh, St. Patrick's Day, Cinco de Mayo, 
Memorial Day, 4th of July, Labor Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's again. Mm -hmm. At what point are you going to just say, hey, look, I'm on a healthy journey and I need to do this 365 days a year. I got to make some effort, some choices, right. better habits. Doesn't mean you abstain from everything and you're going around eating chalky little, you know, granola bars. But it just means you have to show up every single day and make an effort. You know, I equate it to riding an old wooden roller coaster. <clears throat> You're yep. here. Whatever one of your goals is, the top of that first hill, and you have to go click, 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 click. The ride ain't going to speed up for you just because you're in a rush. You can't skip in and you can't start halfway up. Some people get bored. Well, this mm -hmm. isn't working. Well, dude, you're not at the top yet. You got to do every little step. I'm right. sorry if it's not, you know, bending to your will like everything else in your life seems to. Right. You got to do the work. You got to develop the habits and you have to acclimate and become the person who's going to appreciate the results. Right which happens right when you get to the top and you go over and then you get a ride you couldn't stop if you tried. Yep. And when you get to the end, screamed your brains out. I don't care if you threw up. If you really enjoyed the results, what do you want to do? You want to get back in line. And here's where the coaching side comes in. When you get back in line, look for somebody who's as scared as you were the first time you were there. Mm -hmm. And ask them, hey, is this your first time setting a big goal for yourself? Yeah, yep. I'm sitting next to me. Let me tell you a little story on the way up this first hill. No, that's how we help people. We find that version of ourselves. That's that, that's us a couple of years ago or a year ago or however long ago. Yeah. Exactly. In that same spot. And, yeah. uh, and it, it's, it's so powerful because yeah, we want to get to that end result, but it starts with the basic behaviors, the basic building blocks, the simple stuff. And then this consistency comes in and you do that consistently enough. You do it for 66 plus days, say, and which is the sweet spot that a lot of people say for habits, 66 yep. days, then that, that behavior becomes a habit. You do that habit long enough, and guess what? That habit, after a while, that becomes a part of your identity. You know, it goes from I want to, you know, then it goes to I do. Yeah. And then after that, it becomes I am. Yeah. And when it becomes part of your identity, and then when, when that's your identity, anything that doesn't align with that identity, it's a lot easier to push away. Yeah. You know, you want to quit smoking if, you know, it's not just I want to quit smoking. You have to have that identity as... I'm a healthy person. Yeah. You have that identity as a healthy person, then it's going to be a lot easier for you to quit smoking. And yeah. so that's, what is that identity? Who am I going to become? You know, what does that person look like? Yeah. What do they sound like? You know, visualize them in color and black and white. Zoom in, zoom out. Yep. Yep. I do an exercise with people that say, I just want to be happy. Great. Perfect. I got a seven day jumpstart for you. Mm -hmm. So I want you to get a pen and a little sheet of paper. And on the sheet of paper, I want you to write one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And they start looking at me weird. I go, hang on, put it in your bathroom. And then I get the really weird look like what kind of freak show is Steve going to make me do now for the next seven days? Because a lot of being happy, it starts with the way we talk about ourselves, our self-esteem, our self-talk and all of, of this and our confidence. I said, tomorrow, day one, I want you to look in your mirror, start at the top of your head and just move downward. And when you see something you like about yourself, respect about yourself, think is cool about yourself or even love about yourself, I want you to write it down. And said, so I'm going to give you day one because you're going to, you're not going to see anything. If you get all the way from your head to your toes and realize, well, hell, at least my socks match today, write that down. That's day one, but you can't do the socks thing again. Start again the next day and go down. I've had people on day three, four reach out to me. Hey, Steve, I have really cool eyes. 
yeah, I know that. I'm glad you know it now. Write it down. Tomorrow do something else. Or I have a nice smile or I have an interesting laugh or I have, mm-hmm. you know, oh my gosh, I've lost weight. You know, one of my favorite ones I ever did was a few months into my weight loss and health journey. I looked and I go, holy crap, those are ribs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was like high-fiving my mirror because the ripples in my chest weren't, wasn't cellulite. It was actually when I held my arms up, I said, hello, That's ribs. Awesome. Haven't seen you in a while. Yep. You know, that was after the first 15, 20 pounds came off. And I just said, damn, all right, man, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. And it just makes it still now it makes me laugh because these little victories along the way, they're there for a reason. You know, if I wanted to lose 40 pounds, all I had to do at the time was bust up my chainsaw and have an accident, you know, cut my leg off. I could have lost 40 pounds instant, Mm -hmm. but you know, people say, well, that's terrible, but that's what some people think life is. Right making changes. It's all drastic all at once. And it's, that would have been an unhappy version of me still with a belly and only one leg. Right. The hell would that have done for me? The number on the scale doesn't matter. Right. It's the fact that I'm going to hit 2,400 miles on the Peloton cycle this year, which was my goal in the third week of January when I got the damn thing, even though my very first workout I was panting, sweating, cramping up. I was ready to fall off the thing. My ankles were killing me because I wasn't used to the straps. And the person said, all right, that's great. That's our three-minute warm-up. And I gave the screen the finger and then said, oh, can they see me? (laughs) (laughs) You know, my first day, I'm like, I'm going to do 2,400 miles. And I'm dying three minutes into my first workout. And now I do 10 to 13 miles a day. I'm going to hit the the 2,400. Um, I'm mid, I'm like... Early low twenty two, I think twenty two forty seven as of this morning. That's incredible. So I'm gonna hit it, but I couldn't yep. have imagined it back then because I, I wasn't showing up every day. That was day one version of Steve. But you've made it was nowhere near this version of me. Right. <laughs> but you've made consistent deposits in the confidence bank. Yeah. Confidence, in, in and, it, and that's a bank yeah. just like any other bank. You know, like another bank account that you have. Confidence is like interest. It's going to compound over and over and over again. And so. And it's not just a me thing, you know, it works into relationships as well, because my wife, Tina. 530 every morning, my alarm goes off now, thanks to Mel Robbins and Ed Milet's podcast about her five second rule. Oh, yes. Principle Uh, from last November. Mel Robbins, I have to shut off my alarm clock within five beeps. Yeah. And I count them in my head. And my Tina bought me a new clock. It doesn't even have a snooze button. Yes. Yep. So I turn it off. And then I, in my head, I count to five by five. Both feet have got to be touching the floor by five. You don't five. get a chance to think about it. Yep. And then I turn around and kiss Tina on the cheek. And she's so cool about me Monday through Friday, getting up at 530 in the morning and going off and working out. It's never, can we snuggle for a minute? Because if my eyes are closed, I'm gone for another 90 minutes. Right. I and- get up. I'll go down. She she likes to start her day in her office with uh with a Coke Zero. She doesn't drink coffee. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask her, Do you want your Coke Zero now? Oh, yeah. So I go downstairs, get a Coke Zero, put the can in the cup on top of some ice, go get my Fitbit, my shorts, my sneakers, my AirPods, and my phone. And I go downstairs, I walk a mile, 29 laps from my recording studio through the basement, through the garage, around her car and back. 29 of those laps is a mile. Okay. And then I do resistance bands and dumbbells, got a little weight bench out there. Then I go upstairs, ride the Peloton for anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes. That's my workout every day. It takes sometimes an hour and a half. It's a hell of a routine. But that's part of our relationship goal 
is she's cool with that. And then on the weekends, we just lay in bed and snuggle for like another hour or two with some weird goofy right. TV show playing because and it's, and it's a great if I can interrupt you, that's a great yeah, relationship yeah. goal because a lot of people don't realize by you're doing that with your fitness like when you have that routine taking care of your fitness like that, imagine how much that is going to help your relationship. You're like, well, how are you? How does that help? How can it not? Yeah. When you have the kind of confidence, when you're helping, you have that kind of mood, when you're doing something to weaponize yourself for the day and take on anything that happens by exercising and taking care of yourself and having that me time, you know, compared to the person that's rolling out of bed last minute at eight o'clock or eight 30 and rolling into work in a rush and flustered. Yep. I mean, You've got you probably a, ate a crappy drive-through breakfast sandwich on the way, you know, a big right. grease bomb that may you may as well just cut yourself open and shove that right into your heart because that's what's right. gonna stop anyway. <clears throat> yeah. 99 cent heart attack. Yep, exactly. And uh <laughs> from the dollar menu. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you of course it's gonna put you in a better state of mind. You're gonna be feeling feeling much better, you're gonna be blowing off any stress. You're, you're starting your day fresh. You're cultivating good things for yourself to start the day. And so you're only setting your relationship up for good things. Yeah. And, and then we make dinner together at least four nights a week together, together, not just one of us mm -hmm. making and yelling to the other when dinner is ready. We actively work together to make dinner at least four nights a week. And that's a powerful thing too. And I, yeah. I it's so funny because on Thanksgiving, I even made a post that said, uh, those of you who are sitting around on the couch watching your spouse or your partner cook dinner. Um, and I, I pretty much said, like, you're missing out a on a chance to do something together on a bonding experience. Yeah. And I said, don't be surprised. You know, if you're sitting on your ass, don't be surprised when they're too tired later to do what you want to do. Yep. Absolute truth. You know, yeah. people say relationships are 50, 50. No, they're not. They're hundred, hundred. I love that. They really are. And and I'm not the one who coined that. I've heard a number of people say it. Um, Jack Canfield is one of the people who said it, but uh, there's a lot of people that, that still have that 50, 50, like, well, I'll be this. If this person, will... nope, just be that person. You may find out you're not in the right relationship and that's okay. Because some relationships are better being done. My first marriage was better being done. Yeah. Because Mine I too. was not being the best version of myself. And it wasn't fair to her. And I had made some very rash decisions to end my career that financially deep-sixed us for what could have been years. What was for me for years. And, you know, I deserved that. It, it fell apart and I contributed to it. Now, it, it takes two. I get it. But. I'm not going to sit there and, and be the victim of it. Right. You know, learn from our mistakes. Don't ever do that again. Yeah. When I wanted to shut down my DJ business, which thanks to COVID just got demolished anyway, I asked Tina, would you mind if I stopped doing this on the weekend? And she looked me right in the eye and said, I can't believe you held on to it this long. Right. Of course you can shut it down. I said, you really enjoy having me around on the weekends, like every weekend? She goes, eh, you know. <laughs> the lawn gets mowed and you know and i scrub the bathrooms so she goes so that's been nice <laughs> like, you got that going for me <laughs> oh i got that going for me which is nice and and but see it's now whenever there's a, a a thing i don't hide i don't crumble i don't get quiet i just get honest and we do it both from such a loving place where i always just say i'm just so grateful for her mm -hmm. no that's that's phenomenal and um 
I, I think more people need to realize that. I, I love, I, I'm still, I'm still stuck back on that hundred, hundred versus 50. I've never actually heard that before, but yeah, that's, that's how you need to show up. And just, it's the, it's the day-to-day things. It's the average, you know, today's a Wednesday. It's the average Wednesday. And, yeah. you know, rather than only showing up on, you know, Christmas or Valentine's day or your anniversary or the birthdays, you know, and then wondering why the, you know, the flowers or the chocolates that you brought aren't getting met with big excitement. It's just like, because it doesn't compensate for the rest of the year when, you know, we're underperforming, we're not showing up for that person the way we should be. Yeah. That and knowing somebody's love language, you know, some people will buy something super expensive on Valentine's day and say, Oh, they didn't even appreciate it. Well, it's not their love language. You know, the greatest thing I did this past year that Tina will still tell people I fixed two broken sections of fence in our backyard, Mm -hmm. which we bought the house four and a half years ago. When we bought the house, there were two sections of of white vinyl fence being held together by rope. Oh, wow. They had broken in an ice storm or windstorm or something. And I stared at them for almost four years and kept saying, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I get to it. Well, one day she went shopping with her mom. We had two replacement sections in the basement from the previous owner. He just didn't Mm -hmm. put them in. And I said, Tina's gone for at least three hours. It took me maybe two and a half hours and I fixed the fence, but I didn't say a word. And she happened to go out on the back sun porch later that day and looked over and saw there was no more rope and the fence was level and it was solid. You would have thought I gave her a diamond ring. She came down to the studio. For some people that is. Yeah. She says, hon, oh my God, thank you so much for fixing the fence. She goes, you just made my day. I mean, and I still now, even I get emotional even thinking about that because that is what meant the world to her. But see, I know that about her. Right. You know, we don't do Christmas gifts for each other. The last piece of jewelry I bought was our engage, was her engagement ring right? many, many years ago. And even that was handcrafted, created because I met a jeweler at a speaking event talking about how Tina and I fell in love. He loved the story so much. He came up at the end. He held his hand out. He says, I want to make your engagement ring ring when you officially proposed to that beautiful lady no way that's so cool yeah oh my god yeah and he made the ring that's so welcome to my life man yeah yeah those love languages are powerful and and it's it's so funny because we got to get out of ourselves and we think that just because that's the love language that speaks to me you know just because that's the one i I want to be the receiving end of that doesn't and maybe it's the easiest or more natural for us to give doesn't mean that's the one that appeals to them the most yeah and if you can be in tune with that you're going to go far it's an amazing journey when you just think you know tina was a little tired or she seems a little down today i'll leave her a little note in her laptop so when she Mm -hmm. opens the laptop there's a little note for me she has saved every note she has a stack of them in her office Mm -hmm. yep every time i see that i'm reminded that means a lot to her sure or I'll, if, if she starts to drink coffee again when it gets cold, she might have a cup of coffee, you know, in the morning instead of the Coke Zero. I'll make sure there's water in the Keurig. And I find her favorite. I don't know what her favorite flavor is. I just know that she's got a bunch of pods of it. And I'll put it all in there. We don't have one with a timer. So I'll just pull the note. Hey, baby, coffee's all set. Just hit, just hit go. Put her favorite mug underneath it. And just make it ready to go. And she just appreciates the little things like that. And if more of us guys, we suck at this. If more of us would understand this and our vision, their vision, who we are, we don't have to be 
going out hunting and killing all day long for right. for the people closest to us. Right. If we understand their vision right. and their style and their language, and maybe when they need a little redemption or picking up, we do that. And and we it's the, the best. Yeah. You know, some people say, Steve, you need to be alpha. Up yours. No, I don't. <clears throat> Nothing least. wrong with being alpha, by the way. And there are certain parts, times in my life where I am, I need to be sure. alpha or I choose to be alpha. That's sure. fine. But I'm just who I am. And, and yeah. there's, that's there's, it. There's a time, like you said, there's a time and place for that. Sometimes yeah. we have to be alpha, but it's more about how we show up and doing the simple things, like you said. Yeah. You want to see alpha? Try to break into our house and hurt us. Yeah. Then you'll see alpha. Right. Because I don't think you need to be in here. And I will convince you of that loudly. Right. Sure. <laughs> With a variety of weapons. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a time and place for it. And it's just, uh, um, yeah, it's understanding. And, and like you said, being consistent, showing up and understanding yeah. what they need. Yeah. And being the best version of you in the process, mm -hmm. you know, without puffing up or thinking, you know, you've got to be a certain way, right. you know, gosh, just it, it, in a relationship, it's just the two of you. That's where you start. Right. I, I don't care what anyone else thinks of my life. It's funny when it was, when my life was a steaming pile of crap, I had plenty of people telling me what I had to be and who, you know, who I had to be, what I had to do and how I had to do it. Now, right. 20 years later, the best, happiest version of me, now that, you know, the pandemic is, is allowing us to get back out. I, I posted this morning, I can't wait to get back out on stages. Right. I've been virtual for almost three years. I mean, I saved a ton on dry cleaning. That's been nice. <laughs> But I, I, you know, and I always wear pants. I want to wear pants on a stage with people again. And I still have people saying, Steve, you need to be like this going. I got 20 years of redemption that says I don't. This yes. works for me. I don't care what your motivational speaker handbook says. I'm just me. And I've got clients that have been with me now. January would be 15 years in a row that I've been the first speaker of the year for this one particular company in Rhode Island. And I love them to death. Oh, I teach them vision boards every year. That's how yes. we start. And they hire me because in, and I said to the CEO one time, the CEO, mother goddess, Jennifer Jolliker, and I love her to death. I said, you realize you videotape this every year? She goes, yeah. I said, you could just play the reruns. She said, yeah. I said, why do you hire me back? She said, there's nothing like having Steve Gamlin in the room because every year you get better. Yep. Because every year you learn something and then you come share it with us. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to skip a year Hell no. to save some money. And I'm not cheap. Believe me, I'm in, in, I get paid well for what I do because I work very hard and got very good at what I do. I finally believed I deserved it, which was the yeah. biggest hurdle. My, yes. I drive my coaches nuts. I did for years. Oh, yeah. You got to know your worth. Yeah. And I finally figured it out. And being a part of Apex and being a part of the people I run with and my coaches and mentors finally put me where I deserve to be. And now I, well, not now, but over the past couple of years, I've seen it, yep. which has made me even better and more confident to go out there and do what I do the way I do it and why I do it. Yep. And that's, we have to plant our flag, you know, and sometimes the, the thing that makes you an expert is when you decide and you decide to tell yourself, tell everybody else that I am an expert. And, yeah. and once you start believing that it's going to follow suit in terms of your behavior yeah. and your actions. 
Yeah. You'll start performing like an expert. Yeah. And, and when you have the assets around you to, to live up to that, you know, I got a brand new website. I got brand new coaching platforms coming out. We've moved the vision board mastery program onto a new educational platform digitally. <laughs> All this stuff. Finally, the vehicle is the right vehicle. Yeah. You know, it's bright. It's colorful. It's fun. Cause I use a lot of humor and everything I do. Even mm -hmm. my speaker bureau uh, agent about nine months ago, I said, well, what's your web address again? I want to start mentioning you. And I told her my old website. She goes, Oh, Steve. And I went, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> she said, I can't send anyone to this. She goes, man, I love you. You're funny and, and you're effective and, and my clients love you, but I can't send anybody to this. She goes, man, this is not you. What the hell happened? I said, my digital marketing guy passed away and I've been just cobbling it together for 18 months. Right. She said, you need a new website. Not only did I get a new website, I have a new integration team that built all the systems in the background. Beautiful. And I looked at it the day we hit it and I was almost bawling. I'm like, finally, I brought in the right people so that my own vision mm -hmm. came to light and it works. That's gold. And now we're, you know, we've been pulling the slingshot back for the last eight, nine months. Now we're ready to let it go. Oh, now yeah. we're right at the top of that first roller coaster hill and ready to go scream my brains out down the other side and have some fun. Oh man, I can't wait to see that happen for you. Yeah, me too. I've already seen it in my head a hundred times. I want to go hear it and feel it. Oh man, it's coming. You yes, earned sir. it. You earned yeah. it. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on today. I mean, my this pleasure. And amazing and uh, effortless, just like our uh, our first conversation was. And uh, I knew I knew it'd be fire, and uh, I knew it would motivate a lot of people and drop a lot of nuggets, and uh, definitely did not disappoint. Um, cu a couple last questions for you. Sure. Um, what's a parting message that you'd like to, uh, leave for the audience? If, uh, you know, for the people that are listening right now, um, what's, what's one message that you'd like to, uh, final message you'd like to send to them? Yeah, this is something I learned by observing one of my grandfathers and it's a simple lesson. He never said the words, but he lived it every day. Leave as many situations as you can better than you find them. Basically, yes. leave a trail of plus signs in your wake because you'll never run out of them. Yep. But in the smallest ways, leave the situation better than you can. Simple act of kindness, a smile, a laugh, mm -hmm. a compliment, something. Just leave it yep. better than you find it. Even picking up a piece of trash or playing shopping cart rodeo, you know, rescuing a carriage mm -hmm. that somebody left somewhere without complaining about it. Bring it back to a safe place. Yep. Just do that. Yep. Love that. Yeah. You know, and and interactions too. I just, one of the most powerful messages I've heard lately is every transaction you have with another human being, make sure you're adding energy to that situation because we exactly. can add energy or we can subtract energy. So make sure you're the one adding energy to that transaction. All day long. And mm -hmm. I have some of the most amazing conversations with people I've never met and will probably never see again, but they're, they're angels. I consider them angels because they got to be in my path that day and they may feel the same way and that's great, but mm -hmm. I just want to leave their lives better and they always leave mine better. Yep. They, they guide you along the path too. the Northern yep. stars for you. All of them. Yep. Yep. How can everybody find you? Nice and easy. Brand new website, stevegamlin.com. And that's G A M L I N. Excellent. Well, once again, very grateful to have had you here. All right, everybody. So if any of this resonated for you, please share the show, share with your friends, 
pass this along. Uh, I guarantee you that if you, if you didn't need to hear, I guarantee you somebody else that you know did. If you like this, it resonated with you, go online, Spotify, leave us a five-star review. Everybody go forward, enjoy the rest of your day, make someone else's day better, and we'll see you next time. 